This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Barnabas Piper talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Books and podcasts are always best with a great cup of coffee. That's why we've partnered with Ligaris Roasters to create the Table of Malcontents blend. And guys, it's delicious. A smooth Brazilian roast that will make your heart happy. Head over to LagarisRoasters.com to order a bag or 12 today. Uh, hey everybody, uh, welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron with me as always, our partners and Dave Gentleman. Wait, not always. That's right. Always would imply that we're always together, which we are not. That's true. Okay. okay. Or that Dave's always present for recording, which you're not. You missed the last one That's that we true. recorded. For part of it. When? Today? Is the worst. No, not today. No, when we talked about when we talked about my favorite bands from the nineties. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that later. We get we yeah. you know because we are here in the land of wizardry and witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were told the city was called. Absolutely. Uh, oh no no it was the it was the magic city right right city. because it uh, it sprung up out of nowhere apparently that's right overnight that's right so in other words we're at Birmingham for a conference that. Will be left unnamed. Yeah, I didn't know that Birmingham had a name, like had a nickname at all. Like, is that is that like a local what about, thing? What about the Vulcan? You Give me like know the steel this. thing. So it's okay, steel that, city. The steel thing is from a World's Fair that mm-hmm. happened at some point. I don't ask me the date. I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but Birmingham has a couple of nicknames. Magic City is my favorite one. I don't remember the others right okay. now. Yeah. Probably has something to do with metal. Metallurgy. There's a lot of uh, like old families and mm. barons and things like that. Right. Here, so. That makes sense. Yeah. And listeners, you will have um, probably been wondering at this point, who is this other person who's talking with us today? Well, we have a special guest with us today is KB Hoyle. Karen, thanks for, for joining us. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, for sure. Now, Karen, you've written um, several books. Yeah. Several is what a host says when they don't know how many. How many no, that's, that's not true. That's not true. I know that there are at least eight. There are at oh. least eight. Eight that have been previously published. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a whole long story. Um, and I'm in the middle of, I have a lot of readers who are very unhappy with me because I have a series that's unfinished that has been unfinished. Oh, that you, are, you were pulling a George R.R. R. Martin. Yeah, well, kind of. <laughs> See, the thing is, he just kind of lets his series go like on forever. Right. I have had a plan to finish this series for a long time. Um, this is a dystopian series called The Breeder Cycle. But mm-hmm. what happened is my publisher, um, I was with an Australian publisher uh, that it was actually, <laughs> this was actually the original publisher to publish Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, so they got some notoriety there. <laughs> All right, um, right. okay, okay. <laughs> no, I, that's not, those are not the sorts of books that I write. Yeah, um, that's a sort of dystopia. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a different way. kind. Sort of different kind. Uh, so yeah, they um, they brought me on actually a win. They had just sold Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. They were looking to be known for something other than erotica, and they wanted mm-hmm. to start a young adult uh, sort of imprint. And so they they brought me on, 
And I had, they were, you know, actually great people. I had some great times at that publishing house. Got to go to Australia for the Sydney Writers Festival in 2013. That was amazing. Ran with some pretty famous authors. But um, so anyhow, this this book series, uh, you know, I, I have the fantasy series, which is six books. That one is complete. That's called The Gateway Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started this dystopian series. But unfortunately, this previous publisher, they went out of business. Um, they folded when I was right in the middle of writing this Maybe they shouldn't series. have gotten out of erotica. Maybe. There's a lot you know, of money there. There, there is. <laughs> we've no, heard. No, I'm a volunteer. Yeah, we've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just found myself um, in a position where I was in the middle of a series and um, I had no way to finish it unless I went on and finished it on my own. And that's what I did. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. So you've got the uh, the Gateway Chronicles is all available. Uh, the first two in the in the Breeder Cycle are available as well. Yes. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so. working right now on on finally finishing that series. Okay. Very now cool. now that I have acquired an agent and I wrote another book, acquired an agent, wrote another book for him as well. So mm-hmm. I've written several more things and have been involved in other projects um, that we're working on trying to get into the big five publishing industry with with those new books. So I have other books that are unpublished. Right. Um, And I re-released The Gateway Chronicles on my own uh, with edits and revisions last summer and Mm -hmm. have just recently re-released the first two of The Breeder Cycle um, Mm -hmm. just the past few weeks here. So I'll be finishing that series as a third book and then as a prequel novel that I've already written that I'm just waiting to release. That's very cool. That's Mm -hmm. very cool. Well, we just picked up the... uh, the first book in the in the breeder series. So, okay, great. Um, yeah, looking forward to starting Have you all read it. all the way through the Gateway Chronicles. Yet? Not yet. Okay, not yet. We got through the first two so far. It's about one. six of them down here, right? Six. There's six. six total. Six. There's six. six. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading them right now with my I have two daughters, and they yeah. love it. It's That's just great. time is. It takes a long time when you're reading out loud as opposed to like me sitting down and reading them. I kind of just want to cheat and read ahead though. Yeah. Well, that's a good yeah. time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's it's a good time. As opposed to me being like, oh no, we have to read these again. No, they're <laughs> yeah. great. My, my eldest, Abigail, she, we got her the first one for Christmas and she blew through it in a day. And so it was like, all right, I know this is a good sign because she sat down and didn't stop till she was done. Yeah. So and the first one is called The Six and that mm-hmm. always kind of confuses people. I'll get people who come up and pick it up at like a book, a book festival and then they'll pick it up and they'll go, huh, <laughs> The Six. Why is the first one called The Six? And I'm like, well, that's let's the title read the, of the book. Let's read the book and find <laughs> out. Like, is it the first book? I'm like, yes, it, it has a number one six. on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't say six, it says six. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> And it has an article at the beginning too. It's the sex. It's really yes, cool. yeah, exactly. That's right. I, I think it's clear, but it, yeah, this is know. not a Douglas Adams thing. This right. is just this is an intentional choice. It was an intentional choice, exactly. And each yeah. each book is a year in the life of these kids. And I think something that's important is that they're technically classified as middle grade, um, and it's very difficult to find books that are written for that age group, kind of between. 11 and 15, mm-hmm. you know, now they can mm-hmm. be enjoyed by people of all ages, but these days um, in young adult literature, uh, people kind of, the publishers are really looking for books that are written for it with a, with a 17 year old protagonist because they yes. want characters to be able to do certain things. Yep. Um, 
And, but you have all these readers that are 13, 14, 15, or, you know, 12, 11, and they don't want to be reading about all the sexy time. They want just a good adventure story with maybe some um, romantic, you know, subplot that makes its way in, but that stays um, pretty innocent. Yeah. Um, And I do have romance in these stories, but it it stays family friendly and it appropriately matures with the characters. So it's it can be difficult to find books like that so now i'm just yep. talking about how great i am and you know so, <laughs> yeah. well, we're, we're all nodding listeners yes. just can't hear yeah. us, so, yes. we're affirming this let, so. yeah, let, let the record show everybody agrees yes. with me so yes. yeah. that's right that's good that's good so each one is a year of each of the characters but yes. like are they aging at the same time yes. kind of like yeah harry potter. got it yeah it's like i always tell people it's it's exactly like harry potter so you know <laughs> exactly so, exactly <laughs> No, I did actually intentionally model it after the Harry Potter model sure. for each book because mm-hmm. um, I, I I started reading Harry Potter when I was 16. Um, so I didn't I can't say I grew up with those books, but I loved that sensation of every time a book came out, I felt like, OK, the, the, you know, the characters are another year older. Um, and I, I did start reading them soon enough that I had to wait yeah. for, you know, future installments. And I think there's virtue in that waiting. And that's part of the experience of reading a book series is waiting. Um, and how that, that, that increases, I actually just wrote an article on this. Mm. Just, this is just the hour to talk about how great I am, but you know, it just <laughs> it increases yeah. the experience of, um, a story. And I wanted my readers to be able to experience that, um, you know, that every year the characters were a year older, every book, the characters were a year older. And um, there's that, there's a ethos there. Yeah. It, just from reading the first couple, it, it, the story changes subtly with each one. Like you said, they sort of, they age into different things, different yes. kinds of relationships, different ways of thinking which is really cool. That's a really interesting with what you just said about, you know, sort of waiting for a series because nothing is released like that today. Because no. nope. even, you know, watching shows, whatever, like they release entire seasons of things at once so that because everything is designed to be binged. Yep. And I can't think of any series of books right now that are sort of like cultural phenomenon series that are in the midst of being released. Yeah, like, it's one even even in publishing where you, you know it does take longer to right. produce a book yeah but still um like you know i'm in this season of waiting right now mm-hmm. you know waiting to see if a book deal is going to happen um at a higher level for me and the waiting is hard um but once it happens um if i'm signed for you know a two book deal or a three book deal or whatever it happens um it's likely that because I mean, just looking at how other series, I, I cited the industry pretty hard. You know, just looking at how other series have been released uh, lately. Look like a look at an author like I don't know if you guys are familiar with young adult authors these days, but like an author like Sarah J. Moss, mm-hmm. she's releasing a book a year in these series, mm-hmm. and that's like I mean, the pace you have to keep up to yeah. write like that yeah. is insane. Right, like yeah. you're, you're either insanely prolific or you're cutting corners yeah. at that point. And, I, so. and I'm not, now I, I have since about 2009 released, written at least one book a year. Right. So I understand what that's like, but what I haven't experienced from like the big five industry perspective is 
um, having to, to, now I have written to deadlines because I've been with publishing houses and stuff like that, so yeah. I understand that. But everything intensifies when you work to another level. You know, mm -hmm. I haven't had to turn me into over to New York editors and then working with all the marketing and the various aspects, everything just intensifies. So I can't mm -hmm. imagine what that sort of pressure is like. And mm -hmm. it's not like, I mean, how many years were there between, you know, the Lord of the Rings installments or like mm -hmm. even going back to Harry Potter. I mean, there were some, there was something like four years in between book three and book four. I mean, mm -hmm. um, she had, she had a kid and, and yeah, that's was, crazy. I, I wasn't you know. tracking those as they were coming out. Like I was kind of aware that people read them, but I read mm -hmm. them all. I read the first six to finish right when number seven released. Oh, I right. wish you'd had the experience Smart. of waiting. Like I read the first three because my mom was a librarian at an elementary school and fantasy really isn't her thing. And she, they were trying to decide whether to stock the book. So she brought the first three books home to me Mm -hmm. And she just kind of threw them at me and was like, Karen, read these. Yeah. And I was trying to be very, you know, Christian legalistic. Like, no, there's there's witchcraft. magic, there's witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, Narnia and Lord of the Rings were like my jam. And, you know, like I've read those a gazillion times. Yeah, those are baptized magic. Okay. Um, that's right. That's, that's safe, that's safe it's, Christian magic. It's, it's Jesus magic. Yeah, that's so, right. That's right. I, <laughs> Jesus magic. I like that. Phrase. Yeah, it's good. It's we're good. good in everyday conversation. I, yeah. um, I was like, oh, fine. Yeah. So I read them. And I mean, I opened the first page of Harry Potter and I saw that the first chapter was titled The Boy Who Lived. And it was just like, okay, this podcast, I can't see my gesture, but I was like, oh, 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 wow. You know, and I just started reading and I didn't leave that armchair, you know, this terrible 90s pink armchair for like three days. I just sat and read them. And then I was like, okay, where's the next book? I need the next book. And, but that, that wait between three and four uh -huh. was, Agonizing. Oh yeah. You know, and I had to I had to wait for the the rest of them. But that, that's why people when they would come out, they would immediately go home, read it within the next whatever eight hours, ten whatever mm -hmm. it would take at that time. Yeah. Remember, it was fascinating. It was it's like a movie event. Yeah. I mean really. Yeah. It, was. it really oh, yeah. was. Yeah. There I mean, was yeah, there was a moment when we got the last book. There was a moment in that last book where I remember I won't, I won't say what it is on air, but it was, a, yeah. it was one of those moments in the book where like, you just don't want to be disturbed. And I remember I was on my couch and my husband was, was sitting on the floor in front of me and he turned around and tried to say something to me. And like, I'm not, I'm not a snippy person, generally speaking, but I literally was like, don't talk to me right now. Just don't talk to me right now. <laughs> it's like, put your hand on his face. Like, like yes. <laughs> that's right, that's right. No. I was like, no. not right now. It's like, it's the best, yes. <laughs> And he's read them all too. He's a yeah. shit fan, but I had first dibs. <laughs> nice, nice. See, I remember, um, cause I worked in a bookstore when I think four and five came out. So this was two, early 2000s, like real mm -hmm. early 2000s. Yeah, early, early. Um, cause I had just, yeah. gone, I was in college. I'm, I can remember like going and Mm -hmm. waiting and like when they when the books came to me yeah you know? yeah well and and i was just because i hadn't read any of them um i was still in my oh if it's popular it's gotta suck phase um, so <laughs> so yes dave you. we'll get to that yeah we'll get to that later yeah <laughs> um but um but i was just fascinated by it. it's like okay you guys just bought all of these in a day what what is the deal and and but I mean I still didn't bother to read them until 2016 so mm -hmm. 
Um, do you have regrets? <laughs> like in life? Oh, I have many regrets. <laughs> I mean, do I have about that or about, anything? Really? Yeah, no, well, really. About that specifically? Nope. I mean, honestly, I think there was... Um, there's, there's, there's a part of me that, that I think I would have enjoyed them just as much if I had read them probably about five years earlier. Mm. But um, I'm glad that I read them and stopped being too cool for school. And, <laughs> and that's why I don't think I would have enjoyed reading them when they came out because that would have been like middle school, high school, whatever for me. Mm. I think I would have want like I don't know I don't think I could have let myself enjoy a what is essentially a kid's book when mm -hmm. they start I mean he's 11 years old and they're written at a kind of a it's, yeah. a, it's a middle grade level mm -hmm. and I think yeah if I had been 14 15 16 I'd have been like no yeah. I can't do this yeah, yeah but it's different. so reading them at you know in my 20s all of a sudden I had no problem reading right. and loved them yeah well and I mean I, I I remember even more than than the books I remember people obsessing like friends obsessing over the movies and I'm like why? Um, yeah. Like I, they, I, they, I, I made, they like... made, in quotation marks, made me and um, uh, my wife Emily go to one of these. And we had no context for anything. Yeah. So we're like, I don't understand this movie. I don't think I actually enjoy it. Why are there owls? What's what, what is yeah. happening here? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm very mediocre on the movies. Yeah. Like, very, very. Well, the movies are really uneven too because they have yeah. different directors and yeah. they're just kind of up and down. Yeah. yeah. What did so you said you said Narnia, Lord of the Rings were your sort of childhood jam. Like is that is that were those the ones the books that made you fall in love with like fantasy, other universes, those kinds of books? Okay. Well, Narnia was first, obviously. I read I was a very early reader. Um I read the Lord of I read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe um by myself when I was six years old. And that's the first book that I remember truly like just kind of opening my eyes and I, and to just the world of fantasy and thinking, wow, I can't, and also the world of like authoring. Like I can't believe that someone yeah. wrote this and like it transported me. And that sensation that words on a page and a story could take me someplace else, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And then I was the child who would go into my closet and push on the back wall. And, you know, I knew it was also this thing. I knew it wasn't real, but I knew also that it was true and I didn't know how to um, and I knew how to, it was just hard to reconcile those two things in my mind, yeah. you know, like Aslan isn't real, but he is also kind of true. Um, and how does, uh, how did a, an author achieve that? And so from a very young age, I was fascinated with that. Yeah. Um, how is this done? Right. And so I just started to read, I was kind of also wondering too, is this found in all fantasy literature or is this just from this one author? And I was tell. I used to tell my students, like, you guys, I'm like, y'all don't understand. When I was young, like, there weren't a lot of fantasy books to choose from. Mm -hmm. Like, I reread The Chronicles of Narnia over and over and over again. Um, and then I turned to The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit when I was eight. And that was the first book that I remember feeling like it was, it was, it was harder to read. And, you know, there are long moments where they're just kind of walking around. Um, and I remember closing The Hobbit, though. And I'm just sitting back and thinking, that was a good book. That was a good book. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it was good. It was just good. And then turning it over and starting it all over again. Like that was the first book I remember. I just kind of did that because I wanted to reclaim that sensation of this is good. Lord of the Rings, if we can just laugh at me for a minute here. 
Um, and all of these, by the way, are tied to the real family camp that, mm-hmm. that the Gateway Chronicles is based on. Because we used to read them at camp, read them on the way to camp. Yeah. Um, and places at the real camp are named for locations in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a sailboat called the Dawn Treader. There's a trail to Narnia. There's a lamppost there. So all of this and is, is it just, on the Upper Peninsula? It's on the Upper Peninsula okay. and mm. it's almost all the way to, to Canada. Like mm. It's way out there. Um, uh, I'm actually going to be going there in three weeks. Um, so I'm really excited. But it's, it's you know, all of this was just steeped in my childhood. I was baptized in this fantasy. Mm. You know, uh, my, my imagination was baptized. But... Um, so coming back to that in the camp. So there was a boy at the camp um, who the, there's a character in the book, Perry, Perry Marks. He's loosely based off of this boy mm-hmm. who all of the girls, there were three of us girls in our, my friend's group, just like in the books. We were all kind of crazy over him for, and he was the athlete in the group for years and years and years and years. Um, and he's like a missionary in Nigeria right now. I really don't think he's ever going to hear this, but um, <laughs> No, we're pretty big in Nigeria. <laughs> I won't say that they're Eric's going to start tracking downloads <laughs> yeah. by the map. Like, one, right. one in Nigeria. Here we go. Nigeria um, isn't offering <laughs> us to be a prince. But he, um, uh, I would do like anything in my power just to like endear myself to him, obviously, sure. as girls do. And um, we were talking about books one day, and we were probably 12, mm-hmm. maybe 13. So I was in my really gangly phase and, um, and I was a real, I was, I was a real big geek growing up. I was, I had a very, very rough adolescence and, um, and he did not. Um, but we're talking about favorite books. And so we're going around the circle in our friends group. And it's just like in the books, headed friends group, just like that, except there were six boys and three girls, but we got to him and uh, let's call him Tom, okay? And so everyone's like, Tom, what's your favorite book? And he goes, The Lord of the Rings. And I was sitting next to him. I had not yet read The Lord of the Rings, okay? <laughs> I had tried because, of course, it's fantasy and it was the sequel to The Hobbit. And so I yep. felt like I should like it. I had tried multiple times. My dad had, like, first edition paperbacks of The Lord of the Rings, first American edition ones. And it was just so hard to get into. Mm-hmm. But the moment he said The Lord of the Rings, I was like... And so they said, Karen, what's your favorite book? And I was like, oh, it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and Tom turns to me and he's like, oh, yeah? Cool. And he's like, who's your favorite character? And I was like, now my, my younger brother, <laughs> who was like eight at the time, yeah. had actually read The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And he's a very strong reader. And his... Um, I think we already had like screen names in the very early stages of the internet, you know? Yeah. And he is used this to, the, this is AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Or something, you know, and he used, my brother's name is Dennis and he used to call himself Denethor. And so I was like, uh, Denethor. <laughs> so I was able to pull something out, you know? That's, and, a, that's um, a really interesting choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just like, well, but, um, uh, and Tom was like, yeah. And he was from Boston. So he was like, yeah, wicked, wicked, you know. And yeah, I was nice, like, oh, okay, nice. Paul. That's <laughs> a sign that he, just so you know, that's a sign he hadn't read it either. So <laughs> No, yeah. he um he's actually oh. he actually had read it. And okay, he he was like, he started talking about it and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. So I went home after camp that summer and applied myself to 
those books or maybe we should more probably say that book and i read it there you go and it turns out i actually did love it and to this day it is my absolute favorite book so thank of you, all time tom. yes mm. thank you tom way to go tom tom, tom, out there. tom of nigeria <laughs> in nigeria, <laughs> nigeria. nigeria. every tom. girl needs a tom to get her to read the Lord exactly of the Rings. well right. and well and ironically um that <laughs> That became like my test for my current husband is whether or not he would love the Lord of the Rings. Going to see the Fellowship of the Ring was mm -hmm. our very first date, kind of unofficial. And if wow. he didn't love it, I that there was going to be it's no it. connection there. And the very first yeah. book that he ever did read he was, was the a Hobbit. Test? Yeah, he did not okay. at the time. All right. <laughs> um, but he proposed to me in a collector's edition of the Hobbit. He wrote the proposal on the Hobbit, so. Um, and this past spring, we went to New York and we saw the Morgan Library exhibit of the, the Tolkien exhibit that came to the Morgan Library. Yeah. <laughs> <Whoa>. yeah. <laughs> Breathe. Breathe. It was that. It's gonna be okay. So it was. It was. It so was he worth passed it. the test with flying colors. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Lord of the Rings go. is just something that we share. That's very special between us. Nice. And we just have. I just have this funny story from my past of this boy I was trying to impress. There you go. So, I like it. Nigerian Tom. Nigerian Tom. <laughs> He's not actually Nigerian. <laughs> but he is, but he is for us. Yeah, he right. is one of four boys, though. So I always thought it was kind of ironic Boston that I had four boys. Boston Tom. Yeah. Boston. Wicked. All right. So you have four boys. <laughs> I do. You should have four. Four boys. Okay. So when you're writing characters of that age, and one of your boys is six, 12? 12. 12. 12. Okay. So like that's kind of that, that age range. Like, when you're writing characters in that age range, are you thinking of your own experiences growing up or are you thinking trying to like get into the head of like your son and others of that right right now? I think back to my to being that age mm -hmm. and I um, I taught middle school for 10 years so that I draw back from that because, you know, my son is only recently 12. Yeah. Um, and when I wrote I first wrote the Gateway Chronicles when he was an infant so um yeah that 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 wasn't really now that he's old enough like he he first read the books last year so and he's still i still think he's lying to me but he read the whole series well okay he says they're his favorite books ever oh, tied okay. with there harry potter i think he's just you know brown nosing but he says <laughs> they're the tied right with answer. harry potter yes it's it the, the right answer, answer. You're right up there. But it's true. I mean, and did. in fact, tying it with Harry Potter makes it more the right answer. More the right answer yeah, is, yeah. is correct. Yeah. He did breeze through them in a week. Mm -hmm. um, now, he, he reads very fast. I cannot keep keep up with him. But, mm -hmm. um, it you know, he was he was he was reading them. He wasn't, yeah. you know, putting them aside, which is, you know, <laughs> would have been discouraging. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's also encouraging because, you know, technically there's a female main character, but there are three boys and three girls that the book falls around. Yeah. So. It's always encouraging to see that that I don't I don't like boys to go oh it's a girls book or girls to go it's a boys book yeah for sure yeah, now I think in re I mean in reading in reading the first couple of the Gateway Chronicles they don't they don't seem slanted at all mm -hmm. I mean I could see how a boy might initially be like oh the main character is a girl I'm not interested because mm -hmm. boys are like that but they don't seem like girl stories at all to to me they seem to I can see why you're so like them yeah mm -hmm. I tried to avoid. Um, anything um, that would that would kind of turn boys off from it, aside from the fact that it's a girl character. Yeah. yeah. When did you start writing stories? Like in my lifetime? Yeah. I've always been writing stories, but I wrote my first novel. I started writing my first novel when I was 11. Okay. 
So, but I did it very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, most, obviously. Most 11 year olds <laughs> do. Well, but, but what I mean by that is I thought that um, I was a naturally talented writer. So yeah. all I needed to do was sit down and vomit words onto the page. Uh, there was no planning involved or anything like that, which again, very 11. Um, but I carried that mindset with me all the way through high school. So I just kind of kept writing it on this book. And this book I started when I was 11. I didn't finish until I was in, in college, like 21. Um, and then I was kind of like um, Tom Hanks in Castaway, like, look, I've made fire. Like, this is amazing. I'm brilliant because I yeah. finished a book. Doesn't someone want to publish this? And I actually did try to get that book published. Wow. Yeah, that, was, okay. that was not one of my prouder moments. Um, <laughs> we, call, we call that a learning experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, everything's a learning experience. Yeah, and I got a rather... Especially the miserable <laughs> ones. Yes. <laughs> I, um, after I got rejected several times, um, I, I sent it off for like a manuscript evaluation from this service. And uh, if they liked it, they would send, they would refer it in some catalog to publishers. Yeah. And if they, but if they didn't like it, you know, they'd, they'd give you an evaluation, tell, tell you why. Well, I just assumed that it was brilliant and I was going to get through this service and all that. So instead, I get this letter back that says, we're so sorry, we cannot, you know, recommend this book. Here's why. And it was just this litany of all the things that were wrong with the book. Um, which was hard to read. Yeah. Uh, but then what I thought was a little unnecessary at the end, because I had just started grad school, um, which I didn't finish because I ended up getting pregnant with my, mm-hmm. my oldest son. But um, they said the last line, they said, maybe you should just stay in school. And <laughs> wow. I just didn't think that was necessary. <laughs> Like, this is a manuscript evaluation, not a person evaluation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's and like it jerks. It wasn't like um, stay in school to learn how to write. It was basically them saying, just give this isn't, you shouldn't be writing. Kind of a stick to your day job kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, stick to your day job. That's, that's basically yeah, what, what cool. it said. It was devastating. Dang. Like, I was, and I'm not the sort, I'm not like real, uh, like, effusive, like, but I was like crumpling up the paper and stomping around the house and like, you know, crying. I was like, what do they know? They don't know anything. Like it was, it was a moment. It was like rock bottom, you know. Is that service still in existence? I think so. You should oh, send them man. all of your published books. Yes. All my published books. So, Here are the awards I've won. And like, mm. what do you know? There was that thing going around on Twitter this past week that was like, um, when did you prove somebody wrong or yes. something like oh, that? Yeah. And I thought about like, yeah, this one time they told me I couldn't write and I should just stay in school. And then I was like, nah, because it just kind of seemed like an opportunity for people just to brag. And sorry if any of you did it. No, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm not see, like, you know, on. you shouldn't have done it. But see, I mean, this you is can fun delete sometimes. tweets still, right? It can be fun. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But I mean, what's funny about about things like that is often like, let's, let's say in a hypothetical world, you did, you were like, oh, yeah, well, stick it to you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they would just write you back and be like, we're glad we could help make you. Okay? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, and that's the thing though, is I needed that. Yeah. Like I needed it because I had never approached writing um, from any sort of like, I don't know, biblical perspective, certainly. Like yeah. I had this, like I definitely am a naturally talented writer. There's no doubt about that. It, it's it's what I'm good at. Just as like when like I do a lot of school visits and, and whatnot, and 
you know, I'll, I'll stand in front of the auditorium with kids and I'll be like, it's just like being good at throwing a football, you know, or whatever it is you can, you're, you're naturally talented at music, you know, um, all of us have some sort of natural talent. Writing is my natural talent. I'm, I can usually tell a good story. Yeah. But I had never taken any steps to cultivate that talent at all. Like right. I had just squandered it. It's like I'd taken it and buried it in the ground, you know, and that was it. And mm-hmm. I just thought, okay, well, I can just do this thing and I don't need, I hadn't taken any creative writing lessons. I had never, i never took a course in college. Um, I didn't pursue writing or English or anything. I just thought nobody knows anything better than what I know because I'm naturally good at this. Mm-hmm. And in the process of that, it taken me 10 years to write one bad novel. And I had notebooks filled. Now, granted, I was also a kid, so there's, there's some of that, but I had notebooks filled with ideas and you know beginnings to novels that just went nowhere because yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, well, this is the process. You know, this is the artistic process. Ah, this the is process. the angst. And um, so when somebody finally you know told me, you're bad at this, I had to kind of stop and say, well, am I bad at this or am I good at this? But I need some instruction. I need to figure out how to do this well. Um, and, and is this what I actually want to pursue and, and do with my life? Mm-hmm. And so I determined I do want to pursue it and do, and do this with my life. And I think I could be good at it with figuring out how to do it well. But by that time, I was pregnant with my first child, had just dropped out of school and they told me to stay in school, <laughs> you know, um, and yep. we were dirt poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know just moved here and 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 could not go back to school like there was there was no way i could actually turn around and figure out okay now i'm going to go back to school you know get my mfa or whatever it is that i need to do to do this so i had to figure out how to become a good storyteller well, first of all the crafts of storytelling and the crafts of writing are two separate things yes mm-hmm. so you had so to true. figure i had to figure that out yeah and then I had to figure out how to do those things well. Let's unpack. Let's unpack that difference between there's the, between writing and storytelling. What is the difference between those two? Well, storytelling is how a story is actually crafted. So mm-hmm. I always tell people it's like um, it's like what you don't see in a building, right? So we're sitting in a room. Um, it's what's behind the walls. It's what is holding up the building. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in a story, or like I, I like to actually tell people, it's also like uh, like the composition of a song. Okay, uh, you might need to know some musical theory to figure out. Like you can sit and appreciate a song and say, "This song is beautiful. I like it. It's my jam." Okay, uh, but just because you like a song, appreciate a song, doesn't mean that you know how it's put together. Right. Okay, yep. so you're gonna need to know some musical theory uh, and to know how to. Comp- composed to actually put a song together, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, The craft of storytelling is like that. There is intentionality into putting together basically the skeleton of a story. So, and that's what the reader essentially doesn't see, Mm -hmm. okay? It's kind of subliminal. But when it's there, like what I did with um, The Hobbit when I was eight years old, where I closed the cover of the book and I said, that was a good book. I feel it down to my bones. It means that the author um, had good craft, their storytelling. So I didn't see it, but I felt it, okay? 
And there's so much more of this. I mean, I teach yeah. entire courses on this, right? There's so much more of this. And there's many different ways to craft a story well. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Barnabas Piper talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Books and podcasts are always best with a great cup of coffee. That's why we've partnered with Ligaris Roasters to create the Table of Malcontents blend. And guys, it's delicious. A smooth Brazilian roast that will make your heart happy. Head over to LagarisRoasters.com to order a bag or 12 today. Uh, hey everybody, uh, welcome to today's episode of Table Mouth Tents. I'm Aaron, with me as always are Barnabas and Dave Gentlemen. Wait, not always. That's right, Dave. <laughs> no, yeah, that's Dave true. That's true. always <laughs> would imply that we're always together, which we are not. That's true. Okay. okay. Or that Dave's always present for recording, which you're not. You missed the last one that's that we true. recorded. For part of it. When? Today? This is the worst. No, not today. No, well, no. yeah. that's talked not. About, when we talked about uh, my favorite bands from the nineties. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. No, we'll we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that later. We, uh, we, yeah. you know, because we are here in the land of wizardry and witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were told the city was called. Absolutely. Uh, oh no, no, it was the it was the magic city, right? Right. City, because city. it uh, it sprung up out of nowhere. Apparently. That's right. Apparently overnight. That's right. So in other words, we're at Birmingham for a conference that will be left unnamed yeah i didn't know that birmingham had a name like had a nickname at all because that is that like a local what about, thing what about the vulcan you give me like the steel this. thing there so it's okay, steel that, city the steel thing is from a world's fair that mm -hmm. happened at some point i don't ask me the date i don't i don't know uh yeah but birmingham has a couple of nicknames magic city is my favorite one i don't remember the others right okay. now yeah. it really has something to do with metal metallurgy there's a lot of uh like old families and mm. barons and things like that right there, so. that makes sense yeah. and listeners you will have um probably been wondering at this point who is this other person who's talking with us today well we have a special guest with us today is kb hoyle karen thanks for for joining us thanks um, for having me yeah for sure now karen you've written um several books yeah uh, several is what a host says when they don't know how many, how many no that's that's not true that's not true i know that there are at least eight there are at eight. least eight eight that have been previously published mm -hmm. uh, and that's a whole long story um and i'm in the middle of i have a lot of readers who are very unhappy with me because i have a series that's unfinished that has been unfinished oh that you are you're pulling a george rr R. martin yeah, well, kind of. See, the thing is, he just kind of lets his series go, like, on forever. Right. I have had a plan to finish the series for a long time. Um, this is a dystopian series called The Breeder Cycle. But mm -hmm. what happened is my publisher, um, I was with an Australian publisher, uh, that it was actually, <laughs> this was actually the original publisher to publish Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, so they got some notoriety there. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. Okay. <laughs> Okay. No, I, that's not. Those are not the sorts of books that I write. Yeah, um, that's a sort of dystopia. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a different way. kind. It's a sort of dystopia. Different kind. Uh, so yeah, they um, they brought me on actually when they had just sold Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. They were looking to be known for something other than erotica, and they wanted mm -hmm. to start a young adult uh, sort of imprint, and so they they brought me on. 
And I had, they were, you know, actually great people. I had some great times at that publishing house. Got to go to Australia for the Sydney Writers Festival in 2013. That was amazing. Ran with some pretty famous authors. But um, so anyhow, this this book series, uh, you know, I, I have the fantasy series, which is six books. That one is complete. That's called The Gateway Chronicles. Uh, and then I started this dystopian series. But unfortunately, this previous publisher, they went out of business. Um, they folded when I was right in the middle of writing this. Maybe they shouldn't series. have gotten out of erotica. Maybe. There's a lot you know, of money there. There, there is. We've no, heard. No, I'm a volunteer. Yeah, we've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just found myself um, in a position where I was in the middle of a series and um, I had no way to finish it unless I went on and finished it on my own. And that's what I did. Very cool. Very cool. So you've got the uh, the Gateway Chronicles is all available. Uh, the first two in the in the Breeder Cycle are available as well. Yes. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so. working right now on on finally finishing that series. Okay. Very now cool. now that I have acquired an agent and I wrote another book, acquired an agent, wrote another book for him as well. So mm -hmm. I've written several more things and have been involved in other projects um, that we're working on trying to get into the big five publishing industry with, with those new books. So I have other books that are unpublished. Right. Um, and I re-released The Gateway Chronicles on my own uh, with edits and revisions last summer and mm -hmm. have just recently re-released the first two of The Breeder Cycle um, mm -hmm. just the past few weeks here. Yeah. So I'll be finishing that series as a third book and then there's a prequel novel that I've already written that I'm just waiting to release. That's so. very cool. That's mm -hmm. very cool. Well, we just picked up the... Uh, the first book in the in the breeder series. So, okay, great. Um, yeah, looking forward to starting Have you all to read, read it. all the way through the Gateway Chronicles. Yet? Not yet. Okay, not yet. We got through the first two so far. Six of them. Did I hear right? Six. There's six. six total. Six. The six. six. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading them right now with Mike. I have two daughters, and they yeah. love it. It's That's just great. time is. It takes a long time when you're reading out loud as opposed to like me sitting down and reading them. I kind of just want to cheat and read ahead though. Yeah. Well, that's a yeah. good time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's it's a good time. As opposed to me being like, oh no, we have to read these again. No, they're <laughs> yeah. great. My, my eldest, Abigail, she, we got her the first one for Christmas and she blew through it in a day. And so it was like, all right, I know this is a good sign because she sat down and didn't stop till she was done. Yeah. So and the first one is called The Six and that mm -hmm. always kind of confuses people. I'll get people who come up and pick it up at like a book, a book festival and then they'll pick it up and they'll go, huh, <laughs> The Six. Why is the first one called The Six? And I'm like, well, that's let's the title read the, of the book. Let's read the book and find <laughs> out. Like, is it the first book? I'm like, yes, it, it has a number one six. on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't say six, it says six. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> And it has an article at the beginning too. It's the sex. It's really yes, cool. yeah, exactly. That's right. I, I think it's clear, but it, yeah, this you know. is not a Douglas Adams thing. This right. is just this is an intentional choice. It was an intentional choice, exactly. And yeah. each each book is a year in the life of these kids. And I think something that's important is that they're technically classified as middle grade, um, and it's very difficult to find books that are written for that age group, kind of between. 11 and 15, mm -hmm. you know, now they can mm -hmm. be enjoyed by people of all ages. But these days um, in young adult literature, uh, people kind of, the publishers are really looking for books that are written for it with a, with a 17 year old protagonist because they yes. want characters to be able to do certain things. Yep. Um, and, but you have all these readers that are 13, 14, 15, or, you know, 12, 11, and they don't want to be 
reading about all the sexy time. They want just a good adventure story with maybe some um, romantic, you know, subplot that makes its way in, but that stays um, pretty innocent. Yeah. Um, And I do have romance in these stories, but it it stays family friendly and it appropriately matures with With, the characters. So it's it can be difficult to find books like that. So now I'm just yeah. talking about how great I am and you know. So e- 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 <laughs> yeah, well, no, we're all nodding. Listeners yeah. just can't yeah. hear us. So, yes. We're affirming this. Let, so. yeah, let, let the record show everybody agrees yes. with me. So yes. yeah. that's right. That's good. That's good. So e- each one is a year of each of the characters, but yes. like are they aging at the same time? Yes. Kind of like yeah. Harry Potter. Got it. Yeah, it's like I always tell people it's ex- it's exactly like Harry Potter. So you know <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> Royalties. <laughs> so, 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 if you yeah. like Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did actually intentionally model it after the Harry Potter model sure. for each book because mm-hmm. um, I, I I started reading Harry Potter when I was 16. Um, so I, didn't, I can't say I grew up with those books, but I loved that sensation of every time a book came out, I felt like, okay, the, the, you know, the characters are another year older. Um, and I, I did start reading them soon enough that I had to wait yeah. for, you know, future installments. And I think there's virtue in that waiting. And that's part of the experience of reading a book series is waiting. Um, and how that, that, that increases, I actually just wrote an article on this. Mm. Just, this is a hour to talk about how great I am, but you know, just the, it increases the experience of, um, a story. And I wanted my readers to be able to experience that, um, you know, that every year the characters were a year older, every book, the characters were a year older. And um, there's that there's a ethos there. Yeah. It, just from reading the first couple, it, it, the story changes subtly with each one. Like you said, they sort of they age into different things, different yes. kinds of relationships, different ways of thinking which is really cool. That's a really interesting with what you just said about, you know, sort of waiting for a series because nothing is released like that today. Because no. nope. even, you know, watching shows, whatever, like they release entire seasons of things at once so that because everything is designed to be binged. Yep. And I can't think of any series of books right now that are sort of like cultural phenomenon series that are in the midst of being released. Yeah, like, it's one even even in publishing where you, you know it does take longer to right. produce a book yeah but still um like you know i'm in this season of waiting right now mm-hmm. you know waiting to see if a book deal is going to happen um at a higher level for me and the waiting is hard um but once it happens um if i'm signed for you know a two book deal or a three book deal or whatever it happens um it's likely that, because I mean, just looking at how other series, I, I studied the industry pretty hard, you know, just looking at how other series have been released uh, lately, look like a, look at an author like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with young adult authors these days, but like an author like Sarah J. Moss, mm-hmm. she's releasing a book a year in these series. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I mean, the pace you have to keep up to yeah. write like that yeah. is insane. Right, like yeah. you're, you're either insanely prolific or you're cutting corners yeah. at that point. And, I, so. and I'm not, now I, I have since about 2009 released, written at least one book a year. Right. So I understand what that's like, but what I haven't experienced from like the big five industry perspective is um, having to, to, now I have written to deadlines because I've been with publishing houses and stuff like that. So yeah. I understand that. 
but everything intensifies when you work to another level. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't had to turn my answers over to New York editors and then working with all the marketing and the various aspects, everything just intensifies. So I mm-hmm. can't imagine what that sort of pressure is like. And mm-hmm. it's not like, I mean, how many years were there between, you know, the Lord of the Rings installments or like mm-hmm. even going back to Harry Potter. I mean, there were some, there was something like four years in between book three and book four. I mean, mm-hmm. um, she had, she had a kid and, yeah, that's was, crazy. I, I wasn't you know. tracking those as they were coming out. Like I was kind of aware that people read them, but I read mm-hmm. them all. I read the first six to finish right when number seven released. Oh, I right. wish you'd had the experience Smart. of waiting. Like I read the first three because my mom was a librarian at an elementary school and fantasy really isn't her thing. And she, they were trying to decide whether to stock the book. So she brought the first three books home to me. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of threw them at me and was like, Karen, read these. Yeah. And I was trying to be very, you know, Christian legalistic. Like, no, there's there's witchcraft. magic, there's witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, Narnia and Lord of the Rings were like my jam. And, you know, like I've read those a gazillion times. Yeah, those are baptized magic. Okay. Um, that's right. That's, that's safe, that's safe it's, Christian magic. It's, it's Jesus magic. Yeah, that's so, right. That's right. I, <laughs> Jesus magic. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's we're good. good in everyday conversation. I, yeah. um, I was like, oh, fine. Yeah. So I read them. And I mean, I opened the first page of Harry Potter and I saw that the first chapter was titled The Boy Who Lived. And it was just like, okay, this podcast, I can't see my gesture, but I was like, oh, 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 wow. You know, and I just started reading and I didn't leave that armchair, you know, this terrible 90s pink armchair for like three days. I just sat and read them. And then I was like, okay, where's the next book? I need the next book. And, but that, that wait between three and four uh-huh. was agonizing oh yeah you know and i had to i had to wait for the the rest of them but that's why people when they would come out they would immediately go home read it within the next whatever eight hours ten whatever mm-hmm. it would take at that time yeah. remember it was fascinating it was it's like a movie event yeah i mean really yeah. it, was. it really oh, yeah. was yeah there I mean, was yeah there was a moment when we got the last book there was a moment in that last book where i remember <laughs> I won't, I won't say what it is on air, but it was, a, yeah. it was one of those moments in the book where like, you just don't want to be disturbed. And I remember I was on my couch and my husband was, was sitting on the floor in front of me and he turned around and tried to say something to me. And like, I'm not, I'm not a snippy person, generally speaking, but I literally was like, don't talk to me right now. Just don't talk to me right now. It's <laughs> like, put your hand on his face. Like, like yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's right. No. I was like, no. not right now. It's like, the best, yes. And he's read them all too. He's a yeah. shit fan, but I had first dibs. <laughs> nice, nice. See, I remember, um, cause I worked in a bookstore when I think four and five came out. So this was two early 2000s like real mm-hmm. early 2000s yeah early early because um, i had just yeah gone, i was in college i'm i can remember like going and mm-hmm. waiting and like when they when the books came to me yeah you know? yeah well and and i was just because i hadn't read any of them um i was still in my oh if it's popular it's gotta suck phase um, so <laughs> Very so yes, Dave, you. we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but I was just fascinated by it. it's like, okay, you guys just bought all of these in a day. What, what is the deal? And, and, but I mean, I still didn't bother to read them until 2016. So, mm-hmm. um, do you have regrets? <laughs> like in life? 
Or oh, many regrets. I mean, about that or about, anything. Really? Yeah. No, well, really. About that specifically, no. I mean, honestly, I think there was um, there's 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 a part of me that that I think I would have enjoyed them just as much if I had read them probably about five years earlier. Yeah. But um, I'm glad that I read them and stopped being too cool for school. And, <laughs> and that's why I don't think I would have enjoyed re reading them when they came out because that would have been like middle school, high school, whatever for me. Mm -hmm. I think I would have want like, I don't know. I don't think I could have let myself enjoy a what is essentially a kid's book when mm -hmm. they start. I mean, he's 11 years old and they're written at, at a kind of a it's, yeah. a it's a middle grade level. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, if I had been 14, 15, 16, I would have been like, no, yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. yeah but it's different. So reading them at, you know, in my 20s, all of a sudden, I had no problem reading right. and loved them. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I, I remember even more than, than the books, I remember people obsessing, like friends obsessing over the movies. And I'm like, why? Um, yeah. Like I, they, I, they, I made, they like... made, in quotation marks, made me and, um, uh, my wife Emily go to one of these and we had no context for anything yeah. so we're like I don't understand this movie I don't think I actually enjoy it why are there owls What's what, what is yeah. happening here <laughs> okay I'm, I'm very mediocre on the movies yeah. like very very well, movies are really uneven too because they have yeah. different directors and yeah they're just kind of up and down yeah, yeah. what did so you said you said Narnia, Lord of the Rings, were your sort of childhood jam. Like, is that is that were those the ones the books that made you fall in love with like fantasy, other universes, those kinds of books? Okay, well, Narnia was first, obviously. I read. I was a very early reader. Um, I read the Lord. Of, I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, by myself when I was six years old, and that's the first book that I remember truly like just kind of opening my eyes and I, and to just the world of fantasy and thinking wow I came and also the world of like authoring like I can't believe that someone yeah. wrote this and like it transported me and that sensation that words on a page and a story could take me someplace else yeah. you know mm -hmm. and then I was the child who would go into my closet and push on the back wall and you know I knew it was also this thing I knew it wasn't real but I knew also that it was true and I didn't know how to um, and I knew how to, it was just hard to reconcile those two things in my mind, yeah. you know, like Aslan isn't real, but he is also kind of true. Um, and how does, uh, how did a, an author achieve that? And so from a very young age, I was fascinated with that. Yeah. Um, how is this done? Right. And so I just started to read, I was kind of also wondering too, is this found in all fantasy literature or is this just from this one author? And I was told. I used to tell my students, like, you guys, I'm like, y'all don't understand. When I was young, like, there weren't a lot of fantasy books to choose from. Mm -hmm. Like, I reread The Chronicles of Narnia over and over and over again. Um, and then I turned to The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit when I was eight. And that was the first book that I remember feeling like it was, it was, it was harder to read. And, you know, there are long moments where they're just kind of walking around. Um, and I remember closing The Hobbit, though. And, and just sitting back and thinking, that was a good book. That was a good book. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it was good, it was just good. And then turning it over and starting it all over again. Like that was the first book I remember. I just kind of did that because I wanted to reclaim that sensation of this is good. Lord of the Rings, if you can just laugh at me for a minute here. 
Um, and all of these, by the way, are tied to the real family camp that, mm-hmm. that the Gateway Chronicles is based on. Because we used to read them at camp, read them on the way to camp. Yeah. Um, and places at the real camp are named for locations in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a sailboat called the Dawn Treader. There's a trail to Narnia. There's a lamppost there. So all of this and is, is it on just, the Upper Peninsula? It's on the Upper Peninsula. Okay. And mm. it's almost all the way to, to Canada. Like mm. It's way out there. Um, uh, I'm actually going to be going there in three weeks. Um, so I'm really excited. But it's, it's you know, all of this was just steeped in my childhood. I was baptized in this fantasy. Mm. You know, uh, my, my imagination was baptized. But... Um, so coming back to that and the camp. So there was a boy at the camp um, who the, there's a character in the book, Perry, Perry Marks. He's loosely based off of this boy mm-hmm. who all of the girls, there were three of us girls in our, my friend's group, just like in the books. We were all kind of crazy over him for, and he was the athlete in the group for years and years and years and years. Um, and he's like a missionary in Nigeria right now. I really don't think he's ever gonna hear this, but. Um, <laughs> No, we're there pretty we big <laughs> I won't say that they're ready to Eric's going to start tracking downloads <laughs> yeah. by the map. Hey, one, in, right. one in Nigeria. Here we go. Nigeria um, isn't offering <laughs> us to be a prince. But he, um, uh, I would do like anything in my power just to like endear myself to him, obviously, sure. as the girls do. And um, we were talking about books one day, and we were probably 12, mm-hmm. maybe 13. So I was in my really gangly phase, and um, and I was a real I was I was a real big geek growing up. I was I had a very very rough adolescence, and um, <laughs> and he did not. Um, but we we're talking about favorite books, and so we we're going around the circle in our friends group, and it's just like in the books, had a friends group just like that, except there yeah. were six boys and three girls. But we got to him. And uh, let's call him Tom, okay? And so everyone's like, Tom, what's your favorite book? And he goes, The Lord of the Rings. And I was sitting next to him. I had not yet read The Lord of the Rings, okay? <laughs> I had tried because, of course, it's fantasy and it was the sequel to The Hobbit. And so I yep. felt like I should like it. I had tried multiple times. My dad had, like, first edition paperbacks of The Lord of the Rings, first American edition ones. And it was just so hard to get into. Mm-hmm. But the moment he said The Lord of the Rings, I was like... And so they said, Karen, what's your favorite book? And I was like, it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and Tom turns to me and he's like, oh yeah, cool. And he's like, who's your favorite character? And I was like, now my, my younger brother, <laughs> who was like eight at the time, yeah. had actually read the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And he's a very strong reader. And his, um, I think we already had like screen names in the very early stages of the internet, you know. Yeah. And he is this used the, this is AOL Instant Messenger, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or something, you know. And he used my brother's name is Dennis, and he used to call himself Denethor. And so I was like, uh, Denethor. <laughs> so I was able to pull something out, you know. That's, and, a, that's um, a really interesting choice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just like, well, oh. but um uh, and Tom was like, yeah. And he was from Boston. So he was like, yeah, wicked, wicked, you know. And yeah. I was like, nice. oh, okay, nice. That's <laughs> a sign that he, just so you know, that's a sign he hadn't read it either. So <laughs> No, yeah. he, um, he's actually, oh. he actually had read it. Okay, he, he was like, he started talking about it and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. So I went home after camp that summer and applied myself to 
those books, or maybe we should more properly say that book. And I read it. There you go. And it turns out I actually did love it. And to this day, it is my absolute favorite book so of all you, time. Tom. Yes, mm. thank you, Tom. Way to go, Tom. Tom, Tom, every Tom of Nigeria. <laughs> In Nigeria. Nigerian yeah. Every girl needs a Tom to get her to read the Lord exactly. of the Rings. Well, so, and, well, and ironically, um, that... <laughs> That became like my test for my current husband is whether or not he would love Lord of the Rings. Going to see the Fellowship of the Ring was mm -hmm. our very first date, kind of unofficial. And if wow. he didn't love it, I that there was going to be it's no it. connection there. And the very first yeah. book that he ever did read he was, was the a Hobbit. Test? Yeah, he did not okay. at the time. All right. <laughs> um, but he proposed to me in a collector's edition of the Hobbit. He wrote the proposal in the Hobbit. So. Um, and this past spring, we went to New York and we saw the Morgan Library exhibit of the, the Tolkien exhibit that came to the Morgan Library. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> Breathe. It was that. It's gonna be okay. So it was. It was. It so was he worth passed it. the test with flying colors. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Lord of the Rings go. is just something that we share. That's very special between us. Nice. And we just have. I just have this funny story from my past of this boy I was trying to impress. There you go. So, I like it. Nigerian Tom. Nigerian Tom. <laughs> He's not actually Nigerian. <laughs> but he is, but he is for us. Yeah, he right. is one of four boys, though. So I always thought it was kind of ironic Boston that I Tom. had four boys. Bo Boston, Boston Tom. Tom. Yeah. yeah. Boston. Wicked. All right. So you have four boys. <laughs> I do. You should have four. Four boys. Okay. So when you're writing characters of that age, and one of your boys is six, 12? 12. 12. 12. Okay. So like that's kind of that, that age range. Like, when you're writing characters in that age range, are you thinking of your own experiences growing up or are you thinking, trying to like get into the head of like your son and others of that right, right now? I think back to my, to being that age mm -hmm. and I, um, I taught middle school for 10 years so that I draw back from that. Cause you know, my son is only recently 12. Yeah. Um, and when I wrote, I first wrote the Gateway Chronicles when he was an infant so um yeah that 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 wasn't really now that he's old enough like he he first read the books last year so and he's still i still think he's lying to me but he read the whole series well okay he says they're his favorite books ever oh, tied okay. with there harry potter i think he's just you know brown nosing but he says <laughs> they're the tied right with answer. harry potter yes, it is the, the right answer, answer. You're right up there. But it's good. I mean, and did. in fact, tying it with Harry Potter makes it more the right answer. More the right answer yeah, is, yeah. is correct. Yeah. He did breeze through them in a week. Mm -hmm. um, now he he reads very fast. I cannot keep keep up with him, but mm -hmm. um, it you know he was he was he was reading them. He wasn't yeah. you know putting them aside, which is you know <laughs> would have been discouraging. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's also encouraging because you know technically there's a female main character, but there are three boys and three girls that the book falls around. Yeah. So. It's always encouraging to see that that I don't I don't like boys to go oh it's a girls book or girls to go it's a boys book yeah for sure yeah. no I think in re I mean in reading in reading the first couple of the Gateway Chronicles they don't they don't seem slanted at all I mean I could see how a boy might initially be like oh the main character is a girl I'm not interested because mm -hmm. boys are like that but they don't seem like girl stories at all to to me they seem to I can see why you're something like them yeah mm -hmm. I tried to avoid. Um, anything um, that would that would kind of turn boys off from it, aside from the fact that it's a growing character. Yeah. yeah. When did you start writing stories? Like in my lifetime? Yeah. I've always been writing stories, but I wrote my first novel. I started writing my first novel when I was eleven. Okay. 
So, but I did it very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, most, obviously. Most 11 year olds <laughs> do. Well, but, but what I mean by that is I thought that um, I was a naturally talented writer. So yeah. all I needed to do was sit down and vomit words onto the page. Uh, there was no planning involved or anything like that, which again, very 11. Um, but I carried that mindset with me all the way through high school. So I just kind of kept writing it on this book. And this book I started when I was 11. I didn't finish until I was in, in college, like 21. Um, and then I was kind of like um, Tom Hanks in Castaway, like, look, I've made fire. Like, this is amazing. I'm brilliant because yeah. I finished a book. Doesn't someone want to publish this? And I actually did try to get that book published. Wow. Yeah, that, was, that was not one of my prouder moments. Um, <laughs> we, call, we call that a learning experience. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yes, everything's learning experience. Yeah, and I got a rather especially the miserable ones. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I um, after I got rejected several times, um, I I sent it off for like a manuscript evaluation from this service, and uh, if they liked it, they would send they would refer it in some catalog to publishers. Yeah, and if they but if they didn't like it, you know, they'd, they'd give you an evaluation, tell, tell you why. Well, I just assumed that it was brilliant and I was going to get through this service and all that. So instead, I get this letter back that says, we're so sorry, we cannot, you know, recommend this book. Here's why. And it was just this litany of all the things that were wrong with the book, um, which was hard to read. Yeah. Uh, but then what I thought was a little unnecessary at the end, because I had just started grad school. Um, which I didn't finish because I ended up getting pregnant with my mm-hmm. my oldest son. But um, they said the last line, they said, maybe you should just stay in school. And <laughs> wow. I just didn't think that was necessary. <laughs> like, this is a manuscript evaluation, not a person evaluation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's and like it wasn't, jerks. It wasn't like... Um, stay in school to learn how to write. It was basically them saying, just give this isn't... You shouldn't be writing. Kind of a stick to your day job kind yeah, of thing. Stick to your yeah, stick to your day job. That's basically what, that's what cool. it said. It was devastating. Dang. Like I was, and I'm not the sort, I'm not like real, uh, like effusive, like, but I was like crumpling over the paper and stomping around the house and like, you know, crying. I was like, what do they know? They don't know anything. Like it was, it was a moment. It was like rock bottom, you know. Is that service still in existence? think so. You should send them all of your published books. <laughs> yes. All my published books. So, Here are the awards I've won. And like, mm. what do you know? There was that thing going around on Twitter this past week that was like, um, when did you prove somebody wrong or yes. something like oh, that? Yeah. And I thought about like, yeah, this one time they told me I couldn't write and I should just stay in school. And then I was like, nah, because it just kind of seemed like an opportunity for people just to brag and Sorry if any of y'all did it. No, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, I see, I'm not see, like, you on. know, you shouldn't have done it. But see, I mean, this you is can fun delete sometimes. tweets still, right? They can be yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what's funny about about things like that is often, like, let's let's say in a hypothetical world, you did, you were like, oh yeah, well, stick it to you, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they would just write you back and be like, we're glad we could help make you. Okay. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, though, is I needed that. Yeah. Like I needed it because I had never approached writing um, from any sort of like, I don't know, biblical perspective, certainly. Like I had this, like I definitely am a naturally talented writer. There's no doubt about that. It's it's what I'm good at. Just as like when, like I do a lot of school visits and, and whatnot. And 
you know, I'll, I'll stand in front of the auditorium with kids and I'll be like, it's just like being good at throwing a football, you know, or whatever it is you can, you're, you're naturally talented at music, you know, um, all of us have some sort of natural talent. Writing is my natural talent. I'm, I can usually tell a good story. Yeah. But I had never taken any steps to cultivate that talent at all. Like right. I had just squandered it. It's like I'd taken it and buried it in the ground, you know, and that was it. And I just thought, okay, well, I can just do this thing. And I don't need, I hadn't taken any creative writing lessons. I had never, I'd never took a course in college. Um, I didn't pursue writing or English or anything. I just thought nobody knows anything better than what I know because I'm naturally good at this. Mm -hmm. And in the process of that, it had taken me 10 years to write one bad novel. And I had notebooks filled. Now, granted, I was also a kid, so there's, there's some of that. But I had notebooks filled with ideas and, you know, beginnings to novels that just went nowhere because yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, well, this is the process, you know, this is the artistic process. Ah, this the is process. the angst. And um, so when somebody finally, you know, told me, you're bad at this, I had to kind of stop and say, well, am I bad at this or am I good at this? But I need some instruction. I need to figure out how to do this well. Um, and, and is this what I actually want to pursue and, and do with my life? Mm -hmm. And so I determined I do want to pursue it and do, and do this with my life. And I think I could be good at it with figuring out how to do it well. But by that time, I was pregnant with my first child, had just dropped out of school when they told me to stay in school, <laughs> you know, um, and yep. we were dirt poor. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just moved here and, 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 and could not go back to school. Like there was, there was no yeah. way I could actually turn around and figure out, okay, now I'm going to go back to school you know, to get my MFA or whatever it is that I need to do to do this. So I had to figure out how to become a good story. Well, first of all, the crafts of storytelling and the crafts of writing are two separate things. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you so had to true. figure, I had to figure that out. Yeah. And then I had to figure out how to do those things well. Let's unpack. Let's unpack that difference between there's the, between writing and storytelling. What is the difference between those two? Well, storytelling is how a story is actually crafted. So mm -hmm. I always tell people it's like um, it's like what you don't see in a building, right? So we're sitting in a room. Um, it's what's behind the walls. It's what is holding up the building. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, in a story, or like I, I like to actually tell people, it's also like uh, like the composition of a song. Okay, uh, you might need to know some musical theory to figure out. Like you can sit and appreciate a song and say this song is beautiful. I like it. It's my jam. Okay, uh, but just because you like a song, appreciate a song, doesn't mean that you know how it's put together. Right. Okay, yep. so you're gonna need to know some musical theory uh, and to know how to. Composed to actually put a song together. Okay, mm -hmm. um, the craft of storytelling is like that. There is intentionality into putting together basically the skeleton of a story. So, and that's what the reader essentially doesn't see. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's it's kind of subliminal, but when it's there, like what I did with. Um, the Hobbit when I was eight years old, where I closed the cover of the book and I said, that was a good book. I feel it down to my bones. It means that the author um, had good craft, their storytelling. So I didn't see it, but I felt it. Okay. Yeah. 
And there's so much more of this. I mean, I teach entire courses on this, right? There's so much more. There's many different ways to craft a story well, okay? But it's essentially putting together the skeleton of the story so that what you, and and then it's a skeleton, and then it's it's the muscles, and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the blood, and it's everything uh, that goes into building the story. And if you craft a story well, that's where you put in, uh, that's where you develop your themes of the story also, um, and so what is the story saying? That's all going to go into the craft of the story. And it doesn't really have to do, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but it doesn't necessarily have to do with the words on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like, wait, the books are written with words. Yes. But it has, it has to do with more so the order of the words mm-hmm. and what you're doing with them. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's why I would think that's why so many, like there are so many different flavors of excellent story or novel you have like john steinbeck tells a really good story in one distinct way yes jk rowling does it in another distinct way yes but this the craft of story there's similarities there and the writing is nothing alike yes exactly yeah yeah storytelling and then you you get into writing style and Mm -hmm. that that has more to do with what you're doing with the actual words on the page um and 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 sentence structure Mm -hmm. and things like that um, using good grammar, you know, and then it gets into things like, well, do you know the rules of grammar? Okay, now go break them, you know, and mm-hmm. do, what, do what you want with the words. That's more of, of um, using your paintbrush, you know, yeah. um, two different things. Yeah. But yeah. The, the, the story craft is more invisible unless you know it. Then once you study story craft, mm-hmm. um, then you start to see it. You know, there's a couple of distinct styles that I like to use and I like to teach. And when I see them used, I'm like, oh, I see what you did there, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Um, but it's so, it's so important, you know, like I always used to, I like to tell my students, like, um, it's, it, you know, like classics of Western civilization, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason we still consider books like the Iliad and the Odyssey or, uh, Shakespeare's works or A Tale of Two Cities. Um, obviously I'm picking, you know, Western works right now. Um, mm-hmm. there are classics from other areas of the world, of course. But, you know, there's a reason why we we still consider these books classics. It's not like some, you know, old white dude sat down, you know, <laughs> however long ago. And we're like, well, these are going to be the books that are going to be classics. And so shall it be written and so shall it be done. And yeah. we're not going to. That's just that. Yeah. Even if, you know, and it's not like that meeting ever took place. Right. There's a reason we still read certain books. Yeah. And it has to do with how these books are put together. And so when I figured out that I needed to figure out how to tell a good story and that it really didn't have anything to do yet, that the figuring out how to write better was going to come later. First, I had to figure out how to tell a good story. Then I needed to look at some of these classic works, um, old classics and books that I just flat out loved that are worldwide phenomenons like Mm -hmm. Harry Potter. There's got to be a reason why American kids, British kids, you know, Russian kids, Chinese kids, however many languages this book has been translated into, in addition to, you know, adults and elderly people and men and women and people from all different sorts of lifestyles, walks of life and religions and all that, all love this story. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying all people everywhere love the story, but you understand that there are people from all sorts of different walks of life that love this story. Is she actually... A magician is she a witch has she put a spell on everybody or is there something special yeah in the craft of that story that makes it appeal to all these various people because i gotta tell you 
it went too big for it just to be like, wow, that's the best marketing campaign in history. Yeah. As, as multiple people here who work in book marketing, we can all say amen to that because we've yeah. tried to make things bestsellers and failed miserably. It's really, yeah. you, you can't market a book into being a phenomenon. No, you really can't. You can can't. market it into some sales lists. Usually you spend too much money to do it, but you can't market a phenomenon. Yeah. It Correct. just happens. Yeah. Correct. And I do my own book marketing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it stinks, you know? Um, and yeah, and, and there's just, I, I there's no way, right? There's yeah. no way. So I, I just started to look at all these various books that I love, old classic, new classics and things like that. And I came to some very interesting conclusions. Um, and I thought, wow, there's no randomness to this. There is a pattern to which books are successful and why. And, and, and again, it's not like there's one successful way to do it. There are many different successful storytelling techniques um, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And they're gonna be they're gonna change based on culture um, and tradition and whatnot. But yeah. um, I'm I'm very anti-randomness in storytelling. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So for sure. I find it really interesting that, so back to Harry Potter, mm-hmm. that Rowling's storytelling in that one resonated in this way, and she has not remotely achieved the same success with anything else she's written. And it's not like she lost the ability to tell a good story. There's yeah. just some something that's not there in the, what are they, the Corman Strike Strikes. ones, yeah. and then there was uh, the vacancy one, yeah. uh, Casual Vacancy, Casual. which... Mm-hmm. That felt more like a rebound relationship book. She's like, I did yeah. all this kid stuff. Now I'm going to go do this really weird pseudo political thing over here. Um, yeah. But well, she, the, none of those have the same resonance at all. Yeah, They're I good. I, I, like the, I like the Cormoran Strike books, but they read sure. more. They read more like, I don't know, a, a better written John Grisham kind of book. Like right. they're just yeah. they're just a mystery. I haven't read uh, the Cormoran Strike ones, um, or I didn't read the Casual Vacancy either, because I kind of was like, I just wanted to remember. Right. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I loved, you know, mm-hmm. as it was. But I would speculate um, that it is largely because of the story structure that she used for Harry Potter. And I don't know that she has carried on with that, because she drew heavily from um, some classical traditions mm-hmm. um, in writing Harry Potter's. Um, it's something it's something called uh, literary alchemy that I actually use, studied, use it in the Gateway Chronicles, um, and I teach it. And it's a phenomenal way to tell a story mm-hmm. and the interconnecting things. Uh, it, uh, it would be far too much to, to get into in depth here. But I don't know that she's gone on to use that. Some story structures are more successful than others. Mm-hmm. But also, there are also there's not like one magic you know, secret sauce as to why a book goes is successful as well. So um, you have your fan base and things like that. And yeah. you also have your moment in time when books hit, right? Yep. right. Um, and Harry Potter hit at a very specific moment in time when the world needed, I mean, it changed book book marketing, it changed publishing forever. You know, they mm-hmm. changed the categories, categories, the categories on the New York Times bestsellers yeah. list. Um, and it was kind of pre-digital as well, pre-digital. which yeah. changes a lot of things too. Yep. Yep. Um, well, name during that era in the 90s before that of YA or middle reader that just exploded, even anything close to that, because it was everything that happened after Harry Potter that just lost almost, all Yeah, this. it yeah. created a genre. It opened a yep. door. It I mean. opened a door. Um, it, it changed so much. And, um, you know, they, they are always saying they're looking for the next Harry Potter, but yet 
publishers are are really, really shy of publishing books that have that age of protagonist um, because of what I was talking about. They want the 17 and up um, manuscript that is that is with my um, agent right now that we're, we're working on polishing up to get it ready for uh, submission. I mean, I, I we, we talked about this because it's got a Harry Potter age protagonist and it's a it's a very similar um, sort of adventure story. It's 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 not magic. I won't say too much about it, but it's you know it's not magic, but it's it's um, it's almost magic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we kind of thought we're like, well, we see 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 finds a home, you know, yeah. because the, be it's cool. everything everybody wants seventeen year olds yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blame the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew for that. <laughs> they, were the, they were the original seventeen-year-old protagonists. Well. So that, I don't think they were doing the same things that the 17 year olds no, are doing no, in the books no, these no. days. Not quite. I'm reading these books and I'm like, ah, yeah, my son can't read these. Um, no. Not just yet. Well, there's there's kind of a weird thing that the, the, YA, the YA market tends to be really written for 20 somethings yes. more than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. And so there's a yeah. little bit of, so when you think about like the where they're going with relationships, it's like, that's a little creepy. That, uh... The the reason being is because twenty somethings, thirty somethings, mm-hmm. um, and on up, they, you know, YA literature is is very popular because mm-hmm. it offers something that adult literature tends to not offer, which is hope. Yes. Um, young people, um, you know, people in their teens and uh, their older teens and whatnot. They, t- I actually I wrote an article on this uh, last summer. Um, tend to be just 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 stupid enough to think their plans will work, yeah. you know, and <laughs> not true. wise enough to believe, yeah. to know the better. To know, to yeah, know haven't better. got the shine knocked off them yet. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but but they're they're very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I love teenagers. I yeah. just love them. Um, they, you know, I mean, they can be kind of stupid sometimes. We're very stupid sometimes. But I love <laughs> I love their optimism and um, just. Uh, what they bring to the table, and they're very deep thinkers, um, mm-hmm. and they're often not given. They're very deep thinkers, and actually, basically, all their emotions are bigger, m- bigger mm-hmm. than than you know. Adults are jaded, and uh, teenagers are, are bigger thinkers. Yeah, not bigger thinkers. They're bigger feelers, but they can think just as just as deeply yeah. as adults mm-hmm. can. There's just not as much wisdom there yet. Yes, um, and I think that's what adults uh, find in these books is they want to go back. They want to remember what that was like. They mm-hmm. want to remember being hopeful like that. Um, you know, as life goes on, life gets hard. Um, and but not who, that. But young who people, wants to read about that? Who, who wants to? Yeah, read who about wants that? to read about the you know, the average life of the thirty something who's like who's jaded? The jaded thirty year old does not make a great protagonist. It's exactly. A, it's, like a bad, it's like a bad indie movie. That's yeah. why yeah. we want to read about yeah. Yeah. teenagers, and they want to read about you know the excitement of young love and first love. But yet on the other hand, what we're also seeing is these young adult books, they also draw in too much adult themes and feelings and whatnot. It's this weird, you get these weird hybrid books of teenagers who aren't really teenagers, but they yeah. kind of are. It's like, yeah, teenagers in adult situations yes. and things right. like that, yeah. And I have, I'm not trying to, well, Okay, I talk myself up a little bit. I've worked very hard in my books to have my characters actually act their ages. Mm. Um, 
to, to be actual teenagers who talk and think and act like actual teenagers and who, although they are sometimes put in situations that are above their heads, but that's, that's how teenagers are. They are sometimes put in situations right. that are above their heads. But to have them react and respond the way teenagers really would and do. Um, and I think it's really important to have adults in the books that are not stupid or wicked or pointless. And that's what you often find in young adult literature. Yeah. Now, it's okay to have a villain who's, who's an adult. That's right. It's like the Charlie Brown teacher in a lot of these. It's just sort of like yeah. the, the adult who exists because you need an adult. Yeah. But that's yeah. about it. You need an adult in the room. They're like but, ballast and that's about all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I just think I try to kind of kick against, the, even though I'm a young adult author and I love young adult literature to my very bones, which is why I write it, um, I kick against the goats of what uh, is out there because yeah. I just think we need we need something different. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm trying to produce that. So we'll see. It'll, it'll either, you know, in publishing, what they want is they say, give us something completely different that is also exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah. And that's so hard. But that's it's impossible, actually. Yeah. Right. It's working on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're going to market it both ways, which is fascinating, yeah. too. They're going to say, yeah, it's just like this other thing, but also it's like nothing ever seen before. Oh, I know. I'm I like, had to choose comps for this well, submission recently. And I was like, what book is, what books are is, cause I have a fairy tale retelling out on sub right now. And they're like, what books are your comps? And I'm like trying to come up with what are the books that it's exactly different, exactly like, but also totally different from. And I'm like, yep. I don't know. Yeah. But we came up with some. Oh, yeah, the book proposal, yeah. Where are your comps and what sets this book apart? And you're like, you're asking for a contradiction in terms. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's not fair. Yeah. Uh -huh. So one of the, uh, before we started recording, we, we started talking a little bit about um, the worlds of writing. So specifically, so Barnabas and I write primarily for Christians in the Christian market. Dave markets books for Christians in the Christian market. Um, you're a believer, but you don't write in that space. No, not really. I, I do, I'm a columnist for Christ and Pop Culture. Yeah. Um, but that's really about, um, I write what I see is tell, tell people I write what I see. So yeah. I, you know, that's just about pop culture artifacts, um, and, you know, finding truth, beauty, and goodness where yeah. I see it. Um, but no, my books are not, um, Christian fiction. They are in the secular market. Yeah. No, that's mm -hmm. awesome. So what was it? Um, so what it what is it for you as a as a storyteller as a as a writer um what is most helpful about about being basically like focusing on general market versus a specific niche audience well i just believe that's where i should be yeah. um i don't think that um niche audiences niche markets are particularly helpful okay <laughs> No, I think that's I think I think they can be very echo chambery. Yes. Yep. And I think they can I think they often can allow the quality of the work to be degraded because yes. it, like the standard is for this this niche or niche, whichever you prefer. Right. Um with Actually, you know as, as a, that word. <laughs> as I say niche, they say you're niche. Canadian. Okay. Um, but I also say against and they keep Ooh. saying again. So I mean, yeah, but if, if it's if it's just in that context, though, it's there's nothing to compare it to, really. Or you're just comparing. There's a small pool of competition, so the quality can decline. Yes. More readily. Right. It's the best of 
this I mean, level think, versus think of, think of, just think of what the we've best. called Christian art for the last thirty years. Music, movies, books. They generally speaking, they they would not stack up in a general market audience. No. Um, just qualitatively, because they don't have to. We've accepted yeah. a lower bar of quality. Now, nonfiction, maybe that's not true, but that's a no, whole different, different. That's a whole different kind of thing. That's yeah. more argumentation and and eloquence. Um, but yeah, I think I think having having those markets, it's beneficial from a reader's designation. What am I looking for? Right. But for as a writer, it's hard to maintain quality. This right. also gets back to. Um, your purpose of storytelling that you outlined that you yeah. have shared because what I love is let's say you have someone who is not a believer reading something or watching a movie. It's the same thing. Like take a yeah. the matrix as an example. Like sure. I mean, someone's not a believer, like would love the movie. Believers also loved it because they saw something else in it. Right. So the story was told very well in that context. And mm-hmm. yet two people were seeing different things in it. Yeah. Both, yeah. both loving it. Yeah. So in other words, it gave it like an opportunity to grow. And yeah. so those were also some of the best books. Mind you, I can talk with someone on the street who I have no idea what, what, are the, what their context, what they believe is, but we both love the story. Now let's talk about why we love it. Right. right. And that's fascinating. Right. I believe a good story should be a good story, should be a good story, mm-hmm. no matter where you find it. And um, I believe in saying true things about the world in my writing. Um, and it's hard to do that if you're writing in. Um, it's actually hard to harder to do that if you're writing in a, in a, a niche niche <laughs> um, market. <laughs> um, it puts more restrictions on you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I actually think I would I would have more restrictions if I pursued publishing in um, a Christian market or what yeah. have you. Um, the I think the best thing you can do. Um, as a writer is to tell true things about the world um, in your writing, um, reflecting the world truly. Uh, and that you have decisions to make then. You yeah. know, Christians always talk about things like, oh, do I include swear words in my books? You know, you get into, into the legalistic stuff and whatnot. I know I have that question every time. It's it's not. I just I'm, include I'm, them and let the editor take care of it if well, he doesn't like them. The thing is, it's not an invalid question to yeah. ask. I'm not going to say that because, yeah. um, you know, we all have our own personal um, consciousnesses. <laughs> that's the word I can't Consciences. Consciences. Yes. There you I'm, go. That's the one. You know, yes. um, and I'm, I'm never going to look at someone and say, oh, you shouldn't be personally struggling with that. You know, that's, yeah. we have things to say. But for me as a writer, I think, what is, you know, as a writer of fiction, if I'm writing a story about the world as it looks, what does the world look like? You know, mm-hmm. if I'm telling a story about kids in the world. Um, now, part of this is, yeah, I get to write fantasy, so I get to make up my own worlds of fantasy and whatnot. But I'm still drawing real people yes. into the world. Well, how do these kids actually, you know, dress and think and talk like and you know, things like that, then in order to tell a true story, and it has to be true in order to be beautiful and good, then I need to be honest in my telling of uh, the story in my dialogue um, and things like that. So uh, in order to do that, I think it's important for me to be writing for a more general audience um, rather than with an editor who might be counting 
like swear words, you know, and and, and not that your books like that. are overflowing with swear words. No, actually, the game, no, the game of listening. Chronicles has has zero swear words yeah. um, in it. But when I was first trying to to get those books published, I was gonna submit them to a Christian publisher, actually, mm. um, even though I, and I don't consider them to be Christian fiction. But um, I was reading their submission guidelines, and they said in there, there can be no mention of, not just inclusion of, but like there can be no mention of alcohol. Wow. And I went, I, I just kind of went, uh, huh. Because, you know, it's a fantasy realm. you think I wrote this? Realm. <laughs> and I thought, but in the fantasy realm, they drink wine. Like, yeah. what do you think they're going to drink? To be like, fair, also did that in the biblical realm. Just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, How do they true. publish Bibles? I feel, like, I feel like we should like, probably mention that. There's your context. It's grape juice. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus, yes. yes. The, the, the wedding at Cana was all Welsh's. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I, I just kind of, that was honestly, that was, that was the last, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me as I went, oh, well, this is not, I'm like, it, they're, they're definitely not going to be okay. Like I'll, I will have like a character, I'll say like, oh, character cursed or whatnot. But in my, in my breeder cycle series, which is intended for older yeah. readers, there are, there are some swears mm-hmm. because they would, yeah. you know? So, it, you know, it's, it's, and I also think it's important that there is diversity in storytelling and if there's going to be diversity, especially when we talk about general um, general storytelling in, you know, Big Five Publishing and whatnot, then their diversity in storytelling means diversity in from, from people of all sorts of different perspectives. Yeah. And that means that we need people who are from a variety of uh, religious perspectives writing fiction as well. And that means someone like me, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, the idea of more more Christian people writing good stories as opposed to more Christian people writing Christian stories is one that I, I mean, I just, I, I kind of, I just wish there was more of that because mm-hmm. yeah, I don't read, I don't read those books and think this is Christian fiction. I think these are good stories exactly. mm-hmm. and stories that I can put in front of my kids and yep. I like love these, just go get right. them. And, and that's great. And that, but you mentioned that there are there are people who read them and like they read the Christian themes in them or maybe they read them into them because I as as I read them I'm like I don't I don't see Christian themes dramatically I see yeah. there's there's definitely like echoes of a worldview mm-hmm. kind of thing which yeah but again that's part of a good story I think um, but yeah I think that's the idea of Christian people doing good work in non Christian realms is like I mean that's sort of a that's sort of a thing that we're called to do, which of course for three guys who work in Christian publishing is a little bit like, well, maybe we're failing. But uh, <laughs> well, but no, I think, I think I, I appreciate. I, I mean, I appreciate that you have such a distinct sense of I should be in this market, not sort of trying to call it pandering in the Christian market or or bending your writing to those standards as opposed to like this. I just want to write the best story for all the readers. That's yeah. all I want to do. Yep. I just want to tell a good story and tell it well. Love it. That's awesome. Have you developed kind of this community with other writers of the genre? I would presume writing conferences and other things like that. Yeah, I, yeah I'd like to. I, I'm in a Slack group with other agented authors um, who are from a variety of, of backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really good because we can all languish together, which is basically <laughs> what we do. Um, and occasionally and, celebrate, I would assume. I, I, 
very occasionally. Very occasionally. Because um, <laughs> this industry is it's just... It's a hard industry. It's a hard industry. But yeah, I'd really like to expand my, um, my circles of just people that I know in mm-hmm. publishing and whatnot. Because I have kind of two very vastly different um, groups of people that I know in publishing. Because I know various people through being a columnist with Christ and pop culture. And then I have these author friends and those two circles do not, they don't even come close to meeting. Yeah. 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 Are a lot of people who write young adult and fantasy fiction, just weird people. <laughs> I don't know. Am I, I a weird person? No, that's why I am. <laughs> but I, but like when, when we go to pub, when I go to publishing conventions and you see the people who are there like pitching their manuscripts and things like there's some, we call them unique. And um, is there, are there people wearing capes? I've seen capes. I, there's like all sorts of bedazzled things. Mm. There's various costume elements. It's, it's very cosplay-ish. She's nodding. It's it can be a a, a fun crowd. <laughs> That's so diplomatic. Wow. Well, no, listen. Um, there are some fantastic people in this community. Um, the I would say that the um, I mean, hey, listen. It's on. It's seriously on my bucket list to go to uh, the the big con. Comic Con. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I will cosplay the heck out of that when I go. But um, you can kind of. I've, I I meet a lot of people when I I I really need to do more book festivals and when I meet a lot of writers who really desperately want to be published, um, and they kind of have an air about them. Um, you can kind of tell they haven't quite finished their books. And there's there's kind of this, a lot of times those people, I can look at them and I can just tell this is not gonna happen. It's yeah. not gonna happen. Um, there tends to be kind of an air of desperation or an air of they're just, they just don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they can be kind of characters sometimes. Um, and you can just kind of, you can just kind of it's not because they're weird or anything like that, mm-hmm. but you can just kind of you can just kind of tell. Yeah. Um, I would say though that those that I've met, especially like in my Slack group and whatnot, um, who have made it to the stage of, of acquiring an agent mm-hmm. and whatnot, um, they no, they tend to be very serious and driven. Like story writers. Like yeah. They're, they're, like me. They're, they're crafts people. Like <laughs> I mean, I'm. Right. I, I think I'm a fun person, but like, yeah. I'm very driven. Like right. I yeah. am, I'm a, I'm a creative person and I'm- well, you don't, yeah, you don't sort of meander your way into writing no. eight plus books. You have to make a decision that this is going to happen right. and you have to have the fortitude to withstand years of, of agony and waiting and not knowing if it's mm-hmm. really going to happen, happen, Yeah, yeah. you know, cause things like, I mean, I gotta tell you, Going through the death of a publishing house, having to turn around and re-release my backlist on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, those are technically self-published now, but they were published at a previous time. But they've, you know, it's kind of like nobody wants these books, but I think that they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like I love these books. They're like my babies, my first babies. You know, and mm-hmm. and just the imposter syndrome is real. Mm-hmm. It's real. Sitting and wondering if you know the real book deal, the quote unquote real book deal, is ever going to happen. Right, is hard. You know, yeah. here I'm sitting. I'm like, oh, I'm 
36 years old. I've now been writing for over 10 years and publishing in some capacity. Um, and I've been a professional writer. I've been paid to write books now mm -hmm. or and or articles for a long time. And I still sit and like languish in yeah. with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I spoke on a panel at the Sydney Writers Festival and I still have I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's like the best thing on my resume. And I still have imposter syndrome. I stood in the lobby with Gabriel Garcia Marquez the year before he died. Like I stood next to him. <laughs> It doesn't mean anything for yes. me, but that's still worth noting, that's, isn't it? Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That actually caused imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> you stand next to somebody you admire, and you're like, oh, I'm true. not that person. That's usually how I feel every week on this podcast. Right? <laughs> it's fair. Yeah, it seems right. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow. Um, you know, I have some friends who are actually, you know, they're constantly trying to break in actually into the niche market that we're all in. And they're, you know, they're dealing with that. Well, why wouldn't someone want this? And it's like, well, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, in some cases, in some of those people's cases, it's because it's not very good. Sometimes people yeah. just need to be told it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard place to get to. <laughs> right. It's true. Yeah. It's yeah. true. It's true. And uh, one of the things that I've seen from from folks who have explored the, the general market versus our market is um, they're a lot firmer, but a lot kinder in the in the general space. In that they're like, it's just not it's just not good enough to for us to publish. Mm -hmm. Whereas we tend to, you know, in the name of in the name of grace, tend to be like, well, we soft pedal it a little, little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. That, no, it's it's very much like doesn't really fit our publishing schedule right now. Yeah. Like, or, we've, really? or we've we've, we've just we've, got a lot of books like this already. Yeah, we've and, yeah. uh, you know, in oh, the pipeline, yeah. and it's just like it's, you almost you know, never but hear. But keep in, working at it. You almost never hear yeah. in the Christian market. That's not a very good proposal, right? You don't write for it. See, and I don't have to write book proposals. Yeah. Like the mm -hmm. book is done, and so it's being subbed around. My agent, bless him, writes the query letters for me. <sighs> but. But yeah, the rejections are yeah. usually fantastic. Yeah. It's like, I feel really good about myself, but they, they say a firm no. Yeah. Like it's, but you know, the, the, the most common thing that they say is they just didn't connect with the voice. Like, yeah. and that's what that usually, cause we talk, we talk about this in the agent Slack group, the agent office Slack group is like, basically what that usually means is frequently they'll say something like, like they really actually liked the book, but there are a number of reasons why they just can't publish it. And honestly, it's usually the same reasons that y'all are talking about. Like they have too many books like it or it doesn't fit their list or, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So, but they don't really know, I'm speaking for editors here, maybe don't really know what I'm talking about, but like they don't really know how to say, they don't want to like just crush you, right? So sure. they're actually kind of nicer about it. Right. So let's, yeah. let's say something like, you know, I just didn't connect with the voice. Mm. So it's sorry, always no. good to use something you that, that's immeasurable. Absolutely. Have you seen that phrase? Or have you read that phrase many times? I've, I didn't I'm, connect with the voice. I've gotten that phrase probably five yeah. or six times. But they'll say, like, I really love this story. Um, I think Karen is a fantastic writer. I think this, you know, this is going to be a great book, but it's not right for me. Or I just I didn't connect with the voice. Or So really, that's the it's not you, it's me of rejection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, basically every rejection that comes through. I haven't gotten a mean one yet. Usually every rejection that comes through is um, it's not you, it's me. <laughs>
Also, so, every rejection I ever got because it's not you, it's me. So I got a few that are just like, no, it's you. <laughs> I think I don't think that. We still talking about writing? <laughs> Fine. Let's wrap this thing up. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, yeah, Karen, thanks for, for hanging out with us today. This was great. Thanks for inviting me. Guys, it's fun as always. All right, and so listeners, thanks for uh, joining us. As always, uh, leave your uh, your glowing five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and buy some coffee. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. This is an area code podcast.